Happens to be Thursday, which means it's time for our monthly check-in with Springfield Mayor Jim Langfelder. Mayor, as always, welcome to the program. Thanks for taking the time. Well, thank you, Jim. Appreciate it. We're going to jump right in with the question that is first and foremost on everybody's mind this afternoon. Are we going to have trick-or-treating in Springfield this year? <laughs> I knew you might ask that. Uh, we will. Um, we're looking at, of course, to meet CDC guidelines for COVID. Uh, so we're looking at that and then um, talking with other oh, village presidents or mayors. Uh, uh, village President Mike Lopez sent me what he'd like to do in Jerome, but what we want to do is make sure it's coordinated. If it can't be coordinated throughout the county, at least through the city uh, areas right here, so everybody's under the same understanding, following the same guidelines. Well, the CDC actually recommended against trick-or-treating, but IDPH has come out with guidelines saying it's okay, maybe you ought to just leave candy out on a table for, for kids and you know, and right. do some other things here. Uh, but as far as you're concerned, there will be trick-or-treating, but we don't yet know exactly the, the hours, and et cetera? Correct, and it would be the following the latter, the IDPH guidelines uh, that you mentioned there. Okay. But we still need to work that out. We'll have an announcement probably sometime next week is what I would look at. But we're all going to consult with the uh, health officials and uh, others and see if we can have that coordinated effort. A lot of hungry children are very relieved this I afternoon, know. Mayor. I, I always look forward to it. <laughs> well, let's uh, get into some of the other issues then. I want to pick up, we we spoke a couple of days ago about the situation uh, with homeless people, the tent city at 11th and Madison. You indicated that there would be uh, some, some changes coming there, an effort to sort of lay down the law a little bit and set some clear expectations for people uh, for the time being, even though that tent city, you want to have it coming down by the end of October. Uh, what's the latest there? Has that uh, conversation been had and have people been told there? Uh, what they need to be doing now for these next several weeks? Well, there's been conversations with, you know, keeping the area clean as much as possible. Uh, we're trying to uh, make sure the donated items are what they need, especially for, you know, the needed items are food, uh, hygiene items, uh, and then water, but other things were being dropped off. So I think we uh, have that under a better situation because we want items to go to the best use possible. And then uh, with regards to November 1st, that's our goal to get a warming winter center opened. And then that's where we would move the individuals uh, to that uh, place. I want to come back to the winter warming center, but uh, mm -hmm. I know this week the city put out a call trying to get a, what is described as a food train uh, together so that you can sort of coordinate when uh, food is being dropped off there and it gets to the right place at the right time, et cetera. What kind of response have you gotten to that? Uh, I haven't. Well, we had a pretty good immediate response. I'm not sure if we covered all the days, but that was the intent is to coordinate uh, food activities because uh, when food was being dropped off, uh, some was excessive where, you know, it was going to waste. And then so what we want to do is make sure that uh, people understand the need is great. Uh, there's other agencies that need help, just not there. And there's also uh, pockets of individuals that Julie Benson from Helping the Homeless um, in Springfield you know, goes from place to place and feeds them. So uh, that's what we're trying to do. But as far as the meal train, uh, the initial one, they have been uh, getting pretty good response. Uh, people can go on the website at mealtrain.com. I think it's backslash OID 689 and, uh, you know, see what spots are available. And then after, even after November, 
uh, that same process will be carried over to the Winter Warming Center. Uh, last time we spoke, you were talking about an ongoing search to find a suitable facility for that Winter Warming Center that can handle not only the number of people, but able to keep them spaced properly since we're still in the midst of the pandemic. Is there an update on that search? Uh, well, uh, not nothing finalized yet, So, uh, but we intend to hopefully have something within the next week or so. It's one thing to find a location, but you also have to have the the resources to manage it, the the staff and the supplies and everything. Uh, are you going to be suited for that? It is a, a challenging year this year when you're going to have people uh, in this facility, people coming in off the street, a pandemic still going on. Uh, are are, you, are there any concerns about having sufficient staff to be able to to manage a facility like that, given the demand we're likely to see this year? Oh, without a doubt. I mean, that's the number one question. I think, uh, you know, uh, you know, we can always open up the current facility. Uh, Salvation Army helped run it last year. I know they were stretched to the max, and then uh, in mid mid season, they uh, moved everybody to the uh, former Gold Gym, where the Salvation Army has a community center there, to so they could spread people out. So that's what we're looking at is a bigger space for that purpose. And then you could use the current uh, facility as a overflow if it's needed. Uh, hopefully the pandemic uh, subsides and it doesn't spread, but you have to prepare for the worst, hope for the best. But conversations have been uh, had with the Contempt of Care, you know, Salvation Army in particular, and seeing if there's a w- interest in providing that oversight service. And so that's the first entities to talk with, and uh, we're trying to work through that process as we speak. Uh, I, I asked you this before, I still continue to hear rumbles of some um, uh, conflicts between the continuum of care and John Fallon, the, the expert that you've hired to come in to deal with some of these issues. Uh, how is everybody getting along and, and are these entities all working together? Are they pulling in the same direction on these issues or is there friction there? I think we're getting there. I think, uh, you know, it's not as smooth as uh, everybody would like, uh, but that's what happens when we're dealing with the issue uh, that we are. These are street homeless. Uh, they're the hardest to house. How do we get them the uh, services they need? Uh, you know, agencies, just like businesses, or everybody's feeling the stress of the pandemic. How do we uh, move forward with regards to that? And John Fallon, I brought him in uh, for that specific reason. Is to, He's an outreach expert, so he had two goals. How do we... Uh, uh, ramp up our outreach in a greater degree. You know, it was happening, but uh, not as intense as what it needs to be for the street homeless. And then the other uh, item was with regards to the Winter Warming Center, identifying an entity that we could uh, work with to make that happen. So, uh, you know, he's pointed out some things that gaps of service that, uh, you know, it's all, I always say it's all in the delivery. And sometimes uh, I don't deliver things correctly, and he might not, or others don't. But I think uh, we are uh, getting to the point where everybody's getting on the same page. We've identified some uh, gaps, definite gaps, and how do we address that so we can take care of the people on the streets? And just not at the tent city. I mean, you go over to Carpenter Street. Uh, we just had a discussion today with John was on the call, as well as Josh Sable from the Contem of Care uh, and some others, uh, providers, and talking about what can we do to uh, improve the situation until the Winter Warming Center opens up. 
It's a problem now. We've already got, again, substantial numbers of homeless, including those at the tent city. But at your State of the City address last week, you you pointed out the fact that things could get a whole lot worse. Right now, we have a moratorium on evictions for people who have been uh, economically injured by the pandemic. Uh, There's a rental assistance program. Those funds will run out at some point. And when that happens, uh, and if it happens altogether, uh, we could see this problem get a whole lot worse. How bad could this, in fact, get? I think uh, that's the, you know, I don't think anybody really knows for sure. The real question is uh, um, hopefully the economy continues at least as it's going. Uh, I have real concerns as we go into the winter months. As you know, the restaurants aren't, our weather's not geared for outdoor dining. Uh, So we're asking people to hopefully uh, patronize local establishments uh, in you know, uh, as much as possible, especially when the shopping season comes. I think uh, we hope that everybody stays uh, vigilant with regards to wearing masks, keeping their social distance, keep our numbers down, which they, I think everybody's doing a pretty good job on that. And so we want to continue forward. We can't go backwards because it'll just be devastating uh, to our economy. And that's really the key uh, to move it forward in a positive manner. So if we're where we're at now, and um, I think after the presidential election, there'll be, uh, I think, Everybody will settle on another uh, support bill uh, through the Hero, uh, HEROES Act. and um, But really, it depends on the pandemic and our ability to at least maintain where we're at and move forward. I think if we do that, then it won't be as severe. Um, it might be a little bit uh, worse than what it is now, but I think we have the resources to make sure uh, we can provide for those in need. But if it gets, uh, you know, it could get a heck of a lot worse, um, especially the pandemic uh you know, rears it up uh, worse than it was last year or this uh, in March uh, or April as we had to do the shutdown then, that, you know, nobody knows where that will take us. Uh, we've had a lot of uh, focus on tenants who have uh, been unable to pay their rent and trying to, to help them get through all of this. Is there anything out there for landlords who've seen their income disrupted too? Uh, they can't evict people for non-payment, and so a lot of them may be sitting there with uh, uh, properties that are occupied but no money coming in from them. What what are their recourses? And that's where the uh, payment assistance program comes in with that rental assistance that goes directly to the landlord, those payments do. So uh, that's kind of the relief. Uh, even though it's for the tenants, it does go to the directly to the landlord. So uh, they would receive it uh, that point in time. So we encourage anybody that needs help with regards to that. Uh, the Urban League is partnering with the city, doing the distributions of that or through um, – uh, the state of Illinois, There's a you can go to the city's website, springfield.il.us. We have a COVID page, and that has links to the various uh, support agencies associated with that. Any idea what kind of disbursements you've had locally from those programs? I will have to check. I know in the first week they had probably uh, hundreds of calls. I think it was close to 500. It might have been over 500. So uh, that shows you the needs out there. I think people need to remember, even with the utilities, when we had the moratorium on CWLP with the utilities, you still have to pay those bills. You still have to responsible for your rent payment. So if you need assistance, uh, you should reach out to, if you don't know who to call, you should reach out to the city at 789-2200. That's uh, actually the mayor's office number. And we can try to direct you, you know, Capital Township provides for some relief on the heating, cooling side of things, uh, rent assistance, things of that nature. So uh, don't ignore it uh, because you're still responsible and 
need to work out those situations. But the need's great, um, but you still have to uh, make arrangements, and that'll make uh, the burden that much less. We're closing in on news time, but before we do that, Mayor um, wanted to ask you uh, a question passed along from a listener who recalled last year during the debate on homelessness in the Center for Health and Housing. One of the things that was talked about then and has been talked about quite a bit since then is the need to uh, simply invest more and steer more into east side development this also came up in discussions about uh, legal cannabis here in springfield and how some of those proceeds could be used in that way as well uh, is there anything tangible to talk about in terms of some of that increased economic development investment in some of the uh, economically underserved areas of the city well the uh, real dollars available right now the cannabis is real dollars that those are you know in fact being generated and so that was, uh, as you pointed out, uh, allocated through the city. Uh, as far as uh, other items are TIF, you know, we extended the east side TIF. We're looking at the uh, Madison Park Place TIF to extend that as well um, to put those into better use. And hopefully we can leverage that with uh, private sector dollars. As far as the city and infrastructure, that's the key is um, we're doing a $3 million sewer um, restoration from Cook, I think, to uh, – it's from Cook to South Grand. I think it's 11th to 19th. Uh, so we've done overlays, things of that nature. But really it comes down to uh, part of my state of the city was housing uh, development, um, things of that nature, and especially rehabbing housing. So that's what we'd like to do instead of demoing them, start rehabbing them and uh, moving forward in that process. And TIFF definitely will help. Uh, you know, uh, I know there, we've applied for grant funds. Uh, there's other entities we've talked to that are going to be applying for IDA funds. So it's a matter of getting those financial resources to make something happen. Popular Place is one development that we did get IDA funds. Um, it got caught up kind of in a regulatory issue, and we're trying to work through that um, as well. Springfield City Council is set to vote next week on an ordinance that would uh, impose certain rules on the Springfield Police Department. A lot of those rules are already part of department policy, but it would codify them in city ordinance. Police Chief Kenny Winslow uh, at the meeting earlier this week said officers have concerns about this. They fear they will get, quote, thrown under the bus if they are uh, forced to uh, use some kind of lethal force uh, in in a situation. Uh, Springfield Mayor Jim Langfelder, you've heard what the aldermen have to say on this. You heard what the police chief had to say and uh, what he says his officers are saying about it. So what are your thoughts on this ordinance? Is it necessary? Will it uh, make for a better police department? Or or does it leave officers, uh, are they justified in feeling vulnerable if this is approved? Well, I think that's a that's the key question. After Ferguson, you know, that was uh, Ferguson, Missouri, NAACP uh, called together a group. Uh, they had the, um, you know, kind of like the discussion at Southeast High School, and that's when they started working on some reform measures. And so, I, you know, um, with regards to codifying them in code, I think that's fine. I think that was uh, pointed out, you know, you're not always going to have the same mayor, same chief, same council. So, it, you know, that's, I view the bar always being raised a little bit higher, you know, because we always, do some self-reflection. So that doesn't really bother me. I think the support that the officers bring up, I think that's valid. I actually, we met with groups and we've had officers had weapons drawn on them and I explained the situation. At times I said, okay, if that happens, is this good? Are you going to support 
like the support's been after Ferguson, where, you know, we have situations happen. Will they, you know, uh, support the police department, knowing that we do take corrective actions if needed? Um, but they wouldn't, you know, necessarily give that. Not, you know, some people wouldn't. Uh, so, you know, that's, uh, you know, that's kind of uh, the when you see what's happening around the country. What we don't want happening is, you know, uh, protests uh, where people are uh, breaking windows, vandalizing uh, things of that nature. We need to be supportive of the police officers because they protect us each and every day. So, if there's an incident that happens, and we've had, I think there were four incidents, guns drawn or had a, a weapon in hand, it could have been a justified shooting. But thanks to the training of our men and women of the police force, and you know their great judgment at that point in time, it's a split second decision. It ended up, it ended up in the right way that everybody wanted. You know the People were apprehended, didn't end up like uh, some of these other places where the victims were shot or killed. And so, but if that would have happened, it could have been justified. Would they have been supported? I'm not so sure. And I think that's the valid point that the officers want to know is, uh, you know, are we going to be supportive uh, and not turn into one of the other communities and an entity or uh, activist group, uh, use it as their opportunity to, um, you know, uh, do something that shouldn't be done. And I think there's ways to peacefully work through processes and uh, make your points known. I think we've done that as a community. We just need to continue to do that. Yeah, obviously, every situation is different, and, and certainly the, the people that I talk to uh, express total support for police, but also reserve the right to say officers should be held accountable if their actions go too far. And we know that there have been situations in other communities with other police departments where uh, an officer's action has gone too far, isn't justified by the, the situation at hand. So how does the community best express that and put police at ease to say, if you're doing your job and if you're following the rules, we've got your back 100%, but if you stray from that, then there should be consequences? Well, maybe there should be uh, some type of uh, agreement, just like, you know, we're codifying the uh, city code or their policy. Maybe we need to come up with a community agreement. Here's, you know, if something happens, here's the process we will follow that everybody agrees to. Uh, but it shouldn't be, you know, what's happened in other cities. And I think we'd rise above it, but you don't want uh, individuals coming from the outside or individuals here that would, you know, use it as their opportunity to break windows or do whatever. And uh, that's what you've seen around the country. And I think that's the, the valid concern is because what happens in one community, as we've seen, when it's dealing with the police, it, came, it reverberates throughout the other cities. And so maybe that's what it needs to come to is like a community agreement. Okay, if something happens, here's how we're going to uh, follow that approach. And uh, here's what we'll, we'll do and work through that. Um, so I think that's a discussion that uh, needs to be in greater detail. I think that will be forthcoming, especially when we were talking about the Police Review Commission and um, any type of changes that may be forthcoming with regards to that. And again, on that, we're one of the few cities that have it throughout the state, and that was uh, negotiated through uh, you know police contracts, so that has logistics uh, to itself that need to be addressed. And and that was my next question. Does that body need more teeth? Because right now they, they just don't do very much, and, it, and it's set up that they won't be involved very often. Uh, does there need to be more of that civilian oversight so that everybody understands that, you know, yes, we, we support the police, uh, but we also think that there should be uh, another layer of review in situations where it, there's a dispute about who was actually in the right? I think that's uh, 
what has been discussed. I talked about with Chief Winslow and uh, the community groups uh, with regards to greater awareness. Without a doubt, that definitely needs to happen uh, because there's not a, the awareness of what they do. I think a lot of times there are complaints that are kind of dropped because once they see the body cam video, uh, then they drop the case. So it's complaint-driven. Uh, but that will be an area, and I think police chief said that, you know, with review of cases, uh, you know, there's no problem as far as, uh, you know, uh, making those available to a certain degree. Uh, I think that's something that's all going to be under discussion. But with regards to the police review commission in itself, uh, again, we'll have to work with all the parties uh, that have an interest and see if we can uh, perfect that process. So everybody has two things, a greater understanding what's actually been looked at um, and a greater awareness of that. And then is there a way to make it better, you know, so uh, we can improve processes because bottom line is everybody wants, uh, everybody wants the public safe, everybody wants the police department safe. So how do we get to that point uh, as best as possible? So I think it's just uh, greater discussions and how can we perfect that process? Mayor, it's October 1st. We are five months left in the fiscal year, uh, and you I, and your team, I know, have been uh, trying to crunch the numbers and figure out how we're going to get through this with the revenue losses because of the pandemic. Are you any closer to figuring out uh, whether and to what extent we will need layoffs and furloughs in this fiscal year to have the budget come out balanced uh, by the end of February? I think uh, this year will be fine. I think it's next year is the one that's going to be in question. I believe the police and fire pension is going to be up uh, $3 million. I believe that was the initial number uh, increase. So uh, it doesn't take rocket scientists. We are seeing declines in sales tax revenue, and then you see an escalation of that expense. Uh, so that's going to be concerning. So we're looking at uh, for next year's budget restructuring and answer the question, furloughs and layoffs. I don't see that happening uh, this year, uh, especially uh, uh, with uh, what we have at our disposal. You know, we have the um, $4.8 million that's set aside uh, for CARES Act fund reimbursement. Uh, so we, I believe that we'll be able to access those funds almost to its entirety to offset some of the costs. We've taken uh, cost-cutting measures. I think it's uh, projected about $3 million savings. And then also, you know, we have a healthy fund balance. So um, and then uh, the other part of it will be, um, you know, still restructuring uh, government and how we deliver our services. And I think that will be the key component to impact future year's budget. And that's what we'll take a look at is how can we become more efficient and work through um, uh, kind of uh, uh, transitioning people as they retire, maybe uh, perfected where uh, you can do services with fewer individuals. But we've already been ratcheted down to the lowest employment level and, uh, uh, you know, in a decade or well above that. So uh, we've already done that. But I think uh, there are areas that we can become a little bit more efficient across departmental lines. As you start putting together the budget for the next fiscal year, uh, is there any chance you will consider some revenue increases somewhere to try to bridge that gap? Or is that going to be off the table? Uh, yeah, that's uh pretty much off the table. There is one item that I thought was interesting. Another city had done this or was looking at it, and uh, but I'm not sure if uh, it would be designated for some type of activity, which would be uh, maybe for infrastructure or something of that nature, because, you know, our infrastructure fund's been hit. Our motor, motor vehicle parking fund has been hit. Uh, so one revenue source that could be 
uh, taken a look at is they, they uh, I'm not even sure if you need uh, legal legalization uh, with regards to legislature or if it's something we do locally, but uh, an entity is looking at a push tax for video gaming. So it's like a penny per push. So anytime you use video gaming, uh, they they have that. So uh, that kind of piqued my interest because of one cent per push. It's uh, not that great. Uh, but if you needed to supplant a uh, infrastructure uh, revenue source, I think in, um, that would be something that could be open for discussion. Anything outside of that, I don't see that happening. Uh, you, you mentioned uh, parking, and of course, uh, just announced this week the free parking downtown will continue uh, until the end of this calendar year, and that's been extended several times during the pandemic. Uh, are, are you certain that we're going to see paid meters come back uh, in January, or could this become a, a permanent thing of not having to par- uh, pay to park at the meters downtown? Well, that's uh, uh, I think Director McCarty was uh, uh, recently discussing the impact it's had. It's had a significant impact to us, I think, to the tune of probably a half million dollars. So uh, it's really the parking meters are there to move traffic downtown. And so it's hard to gauge it when, um, you know, you, the state employers aren't here. Uh, and that's what we're hoping that they do come back um, with. When they do, then that will give us a better gauge. I think uh, the benefit of having the meters is not only to move traffic, but the other item with the age of technology is to show where metered spaces are available. Because with you know it's just like GPS with new meter heads, you can have that happen where they can accept credit cards, but also have it where you'd be able to uh, through GPS know where available spaces are. So that would be uh, very convenient uh, to move in that direction if uh, if it makes sense. Mayor, we've only got about uh, three minutes left here, so I'm going to do the lightning round and go through uh, several items real quickly just to see where they stand. The Route 66 corridor, any news coming on that? Uh, Well, the 25th, uh, I think it's in 2026 is the uh, 100th anniversary, so uh, there's been discussions pre-pandemic with regards to identifying a uh, uh, headquarters for that, and we were in the discussion. Uh, so hopefully that will re-up um, shortly after the first of the year. Uh, you, we were talking about the, the downtown meters, and I know there was recently an expenditure for some uh, additional uh, study and engineering look at the downtown uh, traffic lights and downtown traffic patterns. Uh, are we any closer to movement on that? You know, with the uh, one-way on 4th Street, uh, that's definitely uh, on the table. I think that will help that corridor, and then also some of the side streets. I think it was Adams, or I can't remember the other ones, uh, less traveled areas. That would be the pilot uh, uh, ones to help, definitely help in the flow of traffic and slowing down traffic and helping business development. Uh, any timeline for that? Uh, I would hope next spring. That's what I would hope for. I, I think we did, just had an ordinance that uh, moved it to the next level uh, that was passed recently. You mentioned the state of the city, uh, Hunter Lake, and still uh, looking for a little bit more info from the Army Corps of Engineers. Is there any updated timeline on that project? Yeah, they are going through the recreational study, and we hope to have that uh, by mid-October, that they would have the finalized version that would be uh, made public. Uh, the sports complex. We had conversations in the city council a few weeks back, and I know that the, the uh, developers looking at that idea uh, out on the south end of town had been talking to aldermen individually. Are you expecting uh, another proposal or an updated uh, idea on that? Yeah, they were. They are, they are, their attorneys were looking at a developer's agreement. I did send them some 
information from Cedar Point. Uh, they're structured similarly where they were asking for public and private dollars to uh, make that facility happen. So I did send them those documents to take a look at it, and they're supposed to come back with a draft of that type of agreement, and then we'll give them feedback and hopefully get that in the position where you'd be able to actually take a vote in November. And finally, Grandview annexation. That was a big push in the first part of the year, then the pandemic hit. Uh, Is that going anywhere at all? Well, unfortunately, the mayor there is no longer serving, so they had a changing of the guards and uh, the interest. But really, the impetus for that, I think it's uh, great for Springfield and Grandview. I think it helps with development. Uh, They have a good business corridor that helps offset the cost. Uh, But the real key component for the smaller villages is that they don't have the resources to apply for grants. And, uh, you know, it's just the uh, value of the um, dollars that they can get at their disposal. So I think in the interest of Springfield, it makes sense to move in that direction. But nothing immediate since there is the changing of the village president. You'd have to have a referendum, and that's not going to be on the November ballot. But is there? are you going to try to renew that and maybe do something in the spring? Yeah, we'd probably uh, revisit uh, with the individuals there once they get their uh, feet uh, settled and see if there's interest to move in that direction. Springfield Mayor Jim Langfelder, we're out of time. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Have a great day.